podcast about horror movies and all things tangentially related to horror and the horror lifestyle and also scary movies horror movie horror film scary <laughs> film i am getting all the seo search uh terms for this podcast out of the way i don't know if how many of you notice things like this but the podcast is obviously called the new flesh and we have the handle for twitter because i fought for it at one point when it was dormant I did a lot to make it so we were the, the New Flesh podcast. And there is some Australian podcast that's called The New Flesh that is just in my feed all the time. And when you search New Flesh on iTunes or on the podcast store, I would say it's a toss-up whether we come up first or the Australia boys come up first. What do the and Australians I, cover? Do they also, they don't, they're not also no, horror movies. It's they like cover like plastic gender. <laughs> they, co- okay. they genuinely cover like the idea, like, one of the episodes was like talking about transgender uh, uh, issues, and I I haven't listened to know what side of the issue they're on, but I do know that they had on Gavin McGinnis recently, who is like the guy who started the Proud Boys. So I think I have a theory oh, no. on what oh. side of the debate oh, they're on. Fuck. So yeah, we do not endorse the other New Flesh podcast, but you may have noticed in your podcast feeds when you listen to the show, I think it does say the New Flesh. Horror movies, horror movies, scary movie, or something. And that's all to trick your little iTunes or your iPod, whatever it's called now, Apple Podcasts, into showing my podcast when you search those things. Because I took them out again recently, Jesse, because I wanted to compete with our other New Flesh boys. Uh And immediately fell out of search. Uh Like, if you search horror movies, you could not find the show. So I threw it back in there. And it'd be funny if I start saying it every time. But that's neither here nor there, Jesse. We are here to cover a mainstream, wide-release movie that I hesitate to call a horror film. Yes. But I feel like the movie itself is very much trying to declare itself a horror film. We've got Kenneth Branagh's A Haunting in Venice, starring Kenneth Branagh as Hercule Poirot, and a lesser-than-usual A-list cast that you'd argue is... I would say this would be an A-list cast for a television movie, maybe. <laughs> it feels like a lot of TV people are in it. And I by mean, that, I mean has... Tina Fey and the lady from Yellowstone. I was going to say, is that Kelly Riley? Is she on Yellowstone? Because yes. I know yes. her from, like, Flight, starring, uh, you know, Oh, Den- yeah, that's a, real, that's a real movie. Uh, he, I he, mean... He's, we're going to roll it. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. I would, I would push back because Michelle, Michelle Yeoh is this most recent Oscar winner for Best Actress. And Tina Fey, weirdly, though she doesn't do a lot of them, and this is like her first one in a while, if you go back to her very slim uh, movie, her filmography... There was a time. She's done, like, a not just has done a fair number of movies, but some more hit movies than you probably remember. She's done, like, 
Let me see if I can name them off the top of my head. Baby Mama. Hit movie. Yes. Hit movie. Uh, mean Girls, obviously. Hit movie, yes. Her biggest hit. She wrote that. Uh, we'll forever be dining out on that, I feel like. Uh, I'm struggling already. To Date think Night. About $100 oh, million dollar or $99 million. Something. It's one of those movies that got really I close. I saw that. Yeah. Steve Carell, the James Franco cameo, I believe. Yes, arguably Sean Levy's, not saying much, but arguably Sean Levy's best film. Uh, you don't like Night at the it. Museum? Or <laughs> Night at the Museum 2? Or Night at the Museum 3? <laughs> I enjoy Amy Adams' tight aviator pants in Night at the Museum <laughs> 2, but uh, that's about as far as it goes. Um, those movies are sub- uh, serious candidates for... Uh, best cat ensemble cast for worst movies they're up there with red dragon in terms of one of just the utter star-studded terrific talented casts uh doing a movie that sucks <laughs> one of a handful of movies i walked out of as a youth uh, was night at the museum the this first sucks. one i believe yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, I think we Fuck walked this. to Barnes and Noble and just like looked at books and stuff. Yeah, uh, hey, you got to pick up a book sometimes. That's great. That's great. Um, and then in addition to that, Sisters, a big hit in 2015 with her and Amy Poehler. Re-teamed. Oh yeah, she was like a sleaze ball in that. Yeah, funny movie. I think. Um, I've seen all of these. Yeah, yeah. Like, she's. I like key. Tina Fey. Yeah, that's why she I was has shocked. a good TV, t- t- a good film career. She just I. Has the I think good and she had a couple flops like Wisco Tango Foxtrot, but I think she has <laughs> yeah. the uh, she has the good sense to not push it. You know, like she's, I think I think this movie is her pushing it because <laughs> I have always enjoyed her, and this was the first time I was like, oh, I didn't enjoy Tina Fey in this. I think Tina Fey is genuinely giving a bad performance in this. Maybe she's like you're right. Most of those movies are comedies, but Whiskey Tango was definitely. Oh wait, what did that was? Am I? Oh, I'm confusing it with our brand is Crisis. I don't <laughs> even remember what Whiskey Tango. <laughs> isn't it the same it's, thing? It's kind very of? similar. Yeah. It's like it's not. Uh, it's you know, it's uh, reporters and like uh, you know, Report, reporter you know, in like Iraq or something. It's like, like a, a war zone. Wars, yeah, it's war zone yeah. stuff. Margot Robbie's actually in Whiskey Tango. Whiskey Tango Foxtrot. It's just really. It's very disappointing because it's. Uh, it really seemed like it was had the juice to be a, like a pretty good pretty solid picture and it's it's not um yeah i mean we'll get into it i actually thought she was quite quite good in this in this uh this in the poirot picture yeah in the movie you also thought that was quite good that i did not think was quite good and i am shocked well i'm sure there's plenty of people (laughs) who feel the way i do about it but my feed is mostly people just singing its praises as if it's incredible and jordan hoffman and Matt Solar cites both cite like Orson Welles movies when talking about it. And it's one of those movies where like I just fundamentally disagree so much where I'm like, should I even be reviewing movies professionally <laughs> or like, fake professionally? Like it just makes me mad when I'm just like, what the ever-loving fuck is everybody talking about? <laughs> like, uh, Zoller's review, he's like, the violence really pushes the PG-13 rating. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> Words mean nothing anymore. You can just say anything. So I just read the reviews. It's one of those movies where I read the reviews and I go, Did not, do not agree. Do not agree. People saying it oozes style. I'm like, yeah. Like, the what I thought was it oozed a lack of style when you have every shot in the book in the movie (laughs) when it just is like, how about this kind of shot? How about this kind of angle shot? How about this? How about that? It's a lack of style that I think people mistake as style, but we're getting way too hot and heated right in, right, 
right at the top. We'll save all that juice for the main, um, you know, the main part of the episode at the end when we talk about a haunting in Venice. Before we get there, uh, there's plenty of news to talk about. What's going on in Jesse's world before we hop over to the bits and pieces of the news? Oh boy, uh, nothing good. Just my just a uh, <laughs> my a prescription my doctor gave me getting denied by my insurance company because I'm not sickly enough <laughs> to be uh, to be treated for it, um, which is annoying and has been consuming me. My my morning has been alternating between me writing uh, a piece about the brown up Poirot movies and how much I like them. And being on the phone with my insurance company, uh, suppressing the urge to, to tell them to fuck off and die. Uh, so it's been <laughs> it's been great. It's been great. Uh, great warning for me. Real whiplash I'm experiencing between my enjoying my profession and and hating everything. Ah, uh, I'm glad I asked. <laughs> Everyone's so glad to hear. Everyone's be very glad to hear this. Just a heads up for all the listeners who aren't super involved in my personal life. I am having a baby this week. It appears it is. It hasn't happened yet. The due date is coming up before this podcast drops. So by the time this podcast drops, the baby may have as well. We're, we're using <laughs> album terms and podcast terms for the Your baby. single baby is dropping. Yes. My single baby is dropping is dropping or whatever that joke is. Um, so I just wanted to give a heads up. If there's no episode next week, it's because I'm a new father and I haven't figured out time management yet. And I don't know how to do a podcast while being a father. Um, so maybe that will be delayed. Is there anything coming out next Oh, uh, next week anyway? No, there's not a horror. I mean, there's not a big horror movie. I don't know if there's a uh, if there's like any any indie ones coming out. But the only big movie coming out next week is Expendables 4, which I should, I should have asked you off mic. Do you, do you have any information about what they're screening? No. At? And I <laughs> was going to ask you, but now oh, I'm no. going to ask Ed or something. Yeah, but yeah, yeah we'll I'm, I'm just kind of planning on skipping it because I've skipped the first three in life. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you don't, there's no need to circle back. Now. I just am not. I don't <laughs> think it's for me. I don't think yeah. I'm going to make time for it. But, you know, with all, if all goes well and everything's going hunky dory at the Arnold household, maybe we'll be back in time for the Saw X episode, which I hope to see, you know, I haven't seen it early. So, you know, we'll have to see it. Has anyone seen it? Do you know if people have no, seen it? No, I don't think anyone's seen it. I was expecting Junket to happen maybe this week, but it hasn't. See, I, I'm sure we'll, fig- we'll figure something out. Yes. Uh, the new flesh will return. That is the, <laughs> a threat and a promise. All right, let's get right into 15 minutes in now, right into the news of the week, which I definitely have ready to go and talk about uh absolutely true um <laughs> that sounds very suspicious yeah okay no i do now it was minimized now it's maximized <laughs> okay perfect did you see this jesse uh it was a it was a in snyder exclusive actually <laughs> oh wow there's a almost certainly didn't then yeah it's because it's probably not gonna pan out but maybe uh murder she wrote movie in the works at universal from dumb money writers and amy pascal um, first of all, let's break. Have you seen Dumb Money yet? I did actually saw it yesterday in hopes that I would be able to pitch something about it today. And I just have not. Okay. Well, I have a pitch for you. <laughs> I have a pitch for you. We're okay. going to talk about it right now with the horror movie angle. I think I found it. Are you ready? All right. Go ahead. Dane DeHane jump scare. 
<laughs> yes, <laughs> that's true. I I recognized him from his eyes eventually. Did you really? Uh, yeah, like uh, not. I not genuinely right away. didn't. So that's really funny. To me. I was like, who is? That? I was like, that's somebody. And then it took me a, maybe the length of the scene to go. Uh, by the end, I was like, I think that's Dane DeHaan. But why is he hiding? Um, and then yes, later confirmed with a jump scare. <laughs> So funny. I thought that was really funny in that movie, uh, which we should talk about on a bonus episode if we have time. Where, where did you land on it? Uh, I mean, I, I was like diverted by it, but I didn't really. It seemed pretty surface level to me. Like, it, yeah, it, you're exactly where I'm at. Uh, two and a half yeah, uh, on exactly. dumb money. But that Dane DeHane thing was so funny. And there was an interview that I think it was. I always confuse them. Mike Ryan, Matt Singer. I think it was Mike Ryan. Uh-huh. Um, Mike Ryan interview with Craig Gillespie where he brought up Dane DeHane and he was like, oh yeah, Dane like called me and was just like, I would like to be in this movie. (laughs) And they were like, all that's left is this GameStop manager. And he was like, I will do it. (laughs) And then the next time he spoke to him, he goes, what about if I had adult braces and this and that? And he was like, sure. So like he just wholesale (laughs) cloth invented that character. Yeah. So I love that. Anyway, Dumb Money excursion over. We're back to Murder, She Wrote from the writers of Dumb Money. Uh, Lauren Shuker Blum and Rebecca Angelo. They were tapped to write the screenplay prior to the writer's strike, and they won't continue working on it until the AMPTP has reached a deal with the Guild. Uh, these two have a long history with Amy Pascal as they developed a Gamergate movie <laughs> together Ooh. based Ooh. on Zoe Quinn's memoir, Crash Override, How to Save the Internet from Itself, as well as the Wolfman movie that's in the works at Universal. Oh, interesting. Okay. What um, that Gamergate movie feels like a it must have been a while ago and never happened uh-huh. or like belated and should still not happen. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, Angela Lansbury, of course, originated the role of Jessica Fletcher, which ran on CBS uh, or on Murder, She Wrote, which ran on CBS for 12 seasons and brought her an Emmy nomination every season. The long running series is, you know, loyal audience, classic rerun show. Do you have any? Uh, Murder, She Wrote experience? It's strange. I have ne- probably never seen an episode of it in my life, but my wife started watching it yesterday. <laughs> Whoa! So she 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 subscribes to Jeff Snyder's newsletter. <laughs> she must. She must be an in-Snyder. A paid in-Snyder. Um, no, yeah, she was just was looking for something to have on while she was working, or like maybe fall- while she was falling asleep. It was kind of like a background show, and she likes murder mysteries. And in fact, after Haunty in Venice hungered for more murder mysteries. So she started watching Murder, She Wrote. Uh, I think she watched like the first four of them. And then there's like, you know, I don't know. There's probably like hundreds of them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Back when TV seasons were like 48 episodes long. <laughs> they just ran every day. Yeah. So there's a lot of them. Uh, and I think she's enjoying it so far. So uh, that's I, all I loved have. Poker Face so much that I have decided I'm definitely going to start watching like all of Columbo. It's like, yeah. Like, yeah. It, it just. Uh, yeah, it seems I'm. I have seen some. I've seen a little bit of Columbo here and there. My mom. Yeah, my dad the loved TV Columbo. Yeah. yeah, exactly. They used. To, I loved how the show was like only on the air for a few years, but then it just like periodically there was a Columbo TV movie for like thirty more years. <laughs> I wish the yeah, X Files would cool. do that. I wish I could just like every couple, every you know year or a couple times a year, there would just like be an X Files that I could watch. Um, so you had I, your you had your wish. Yeah, they they made. Two movies. They resurrect. Did they resurrect the show twice or just yeah, the once? Uh, the show. Well, the show res- resurrected once for two seasons. Like, they did two Got short seasons. Of the, uh, yeah, but no good. And, uh, mixed. Mixed. Uh, I would say it's worth. The, those two seasons are worth it because of the 
four or five very good episodes they yielded uh which to me that's fine that's that's in the spirit of the very hit and miss x-files well there you go uh so murder she wrote may or may not be happening this is a jeff snyder exclusive so when it falls apart just remember that it was him (laughs) and that he was wrong um john carpenter's suburban screams a tv series peacock original that's john carpenter produced uh, a genre-busting, unscripted horror anthology series from the mind of legendary director, writer, and producer John Carpenter. I think we already knew this was happening, but now we know. The series premieres October 13th, and there is an episode directed by John Carpenter in there. Wow. That's his first one in ages, isn't it? His first thing in like, ages. Like, directing to gig in ages. That wasn't, yeah, I, didn't he, like, virtually direct some bullshit? I'm trying to figure out if this is that. <laughs> okay. I can't tell if this is the thing that he directed and was like, I directed from my couch. I never left. It was great. <laughs> like, it might be that. Uh, but I'm not sure. But they are definitely touting it as he's involved. He directs one episode, along, and there's showrunners or people you never heard of. He also composed the series theme music. And uh, Friday the 13th, October. That's We love when the Friday the 13th thing works out in, in the horror month of October. So don't miss the six-episode series when it debuts on Peacock. I'm sure we will be covering it. Uh, oh, I have to mention this, Jesse. I know your wife's already all over it. We were tweeting about it. Uh, the Fall of the House of Usher, the new Mike Flanagan series for Netflix, and I believe it's being touted at his final series for Netflix. I believe he's moving on to greener pastures. Um that fall the house of usher it's out october 12th i have someone's netflix who has uh tv access so i've seen this show jesse and my wife and i watched it in basically one sitting it was like two sittings but it was a long weekend we watched the whole thing sort of sort of deal eight episodes i'm gonna go ahead and say i think it's my favorite of the flanagan shows and i love Haunting of Hill House. I love Haunting of Bly Manor. I really like Midnight Mass. And I didn't finish Midnight Club, but I would like to get back to it. But uh, Fall of the House of Usher is his fifth series, and it is his most ambitious. It is basically adapting Edgar Allan Poe's sh- shorts into a narrative series where the whole show is called The Fall of the House of Usher, which itself is a Poe thing. And then each episode is called, like, The Raven or The Telltale Heart. So each episode therein also is based on a different Poe thing so it sounds like how the fuck does this work but it totally works and it's very succession-y in terms of like it's about a rich family in modern times I think it's so clever and keyword here Jesse funny uh, the way that he translates Poe to modern times and modern issues it is like sardonic humor very dark thing uh like he's making big political swings that are arguably going to be people would say are cringy, like how Stephen King gets political, you know, and talks about Trump all the time now. Like there's some stuff like that in there that, but it works so well. I was laughing and 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 screaming along because there are so many genuine jump scares that he's so good at that he's like I think the best at just like lulling you into a false sense of of nothing's going to happen and then something happens, but uh-huh. also just pure nastiness like there's like a mean streak in this that he hasn't had yet and i loved it so i am just big plug for the fall of the house of usher uh carlo Gugino, aforementioned is in it bruce greenwood is in it as a roderick usher who you might remember was replacing frank langella who got me too on the set of this show and Eesh. was thrown off 
for being a creep, from what I understand. Uh, but great show. If you're a Flanagan fan, get excited. Set your DVRs for the Netflix. <laughs> Does that make sense? It doesn't. <laughs> but we're going to keep it going. Um, Beetlejuice 2 update. Tim Burton revealed in a chat with The Independent that it's basically done. He said, I feel grateful we got what we got. Literally, it was a day and a half that's left. We know what we have to do. It's 99% done. He's talking about how the strike you know, impacted it, but they are 99% done with the shoot. Uh, on this last one, Beetlejuice 2, I really enjoyed directing. I tried to strip everything away and go back to the basics of working with good people and actors and puppets. It was kind of like going back to why I liked making movies. Now, I don't want to get too excited. But that's kind of exactly what you want to hear about something like this, right? That it they're is. going back yeah. to practical things and not just like, yeah, we're green screening the house in the war yeah, this yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. So this movie is allegedly coming out September 6, 2024, but that will be delayed probably because yes. of the fact that it's they, not done well that one they still might have some time depending on you know to uh that the to how much depending on how much how much i'm sure that as much as they're doing practical effects there are there is stuff they have to do in post of course so i want it dep- really really depends on how much post they need uh i feel like that is not as doomed as the like movies that are scheduled for the summer where i'm like there's no way this movie's coming out <laughs> yeah that is definitely a, a tougher call uh, Jenna Ortega is in this movie, and of course Michael Keaton, Winona Ryder, and Catherine O'Hara are all returning. And Monica Bellucci will be playing Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice's wife. Yes, just a hilarious like and credit. And Monica <laughs> Bellucci as Beetlejuice's wife. I love this. How is this real? What a world we live in. Speaking of how is this real, the straight to Paramount Plus Pet Cemetery prequel is coming out Friday, October sixth exclusively on paramount plus and it is called pet cemetery bloodlines we talked about it the aforementioned x-files star david duchovny i don't think we said him specifically but we mentioned (laughs) x-files yeah david duchovny's in this i think the news is that it's been rated r for horror violence gore and language all the movies in this franchise have been r which we love to see the film is directed by Lindsay anderson beer in her directorial debut with a script by her and jeff bueller and jeff bueller i believe wrote the however many years ago now two three years ago movie pet cemetery oh there uh, it's like actually the writer of the previous uh yeah wow despite it being a straight to um hold on let me double check this no yeah i was right yeah jeff bueller wrote uh pet cemetery you know what else he wrote he also wrote the grudge remake or oh. you know he did story by on the grudge remake so he's okay. i don't know if he's responsible for that uh the prodigy remember that with uh Orange oh, is the New Black yeah. Lady. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. He did that. He did the Foo Fighters horror movie <laughs> screenplay, Studio 666. Quite bad. And his first screenplay, though, is The Midnight Meat Train. The Clive <laughs> Barker. I've actually never uh, seen Midnight Meat Train. It's not horrible. It's got a, a early uh, uh, Bradley Cooper in the lead role, which is always you know fun for a horror thing. Uh, but yeah, Jeff Bueller, I'm just trying to say... Not the not my favorite guy. He also did the Jacob Slatter remake that doesn't exist, but does with um, who's in that? Like, is it like it's like uh, Michael Ely or something in that? Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think it is Michael Ely. Wow, he really does. Uh, he really gets around this guy. Yeah, there you go, Jeff Bueller. Uh, so he was able to write another one, Pet Cemetery Bloodlines, <laughs> streaming October sixth. That's really all the news. I think the news uh, was like the trailer has come out, so we have a description, and it's this. In 1969, 
A young Judd Crandall has dreams of leaving his hometown of Ludlow, Maine behind, but soon discovers sinister secrets buried within and is forced to confront a dark family history that will forever keep him connected to Ludlow. Banding together, Judd and his childhood friends must fight an ancient evil that has gripped Ludlow since its founding and once unearthed has the power to destroy everything in its path. There was also a Stephen King tweet this week where he said, Bloodlines in the book. <laughs> this is the story Judd Crandall tells Lewis Creed to try and dissuade him from using the pet cemetery. The screenplay takes a few liberties, but it's a fine story. David Duchovny is excellent. The secret, as always, is caring about the characters. Um, I feel like mm, we've learned a- in the past <laughs> that you, you're often damned with a Stephen King tweet praise for one of his things. And this one does not read particularly, like, effusive. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, that's funny because, uh, you, know what it's, you know what else this kind of sounds like? Is uh, the Stephen hmm. King book It. Yes. Doesn't it, isn't this some synopsis just basically describe the story It? It does sound like it, and I feel like we also just talked about a movie where I, oh, the nun was kind of it like. Uh-huh. <laughs> the, it, it keeps coming up. It, yeah. the long tail of Pennywise, the clown, <laughs> very creepy. Uh, Final Destination Six news: Tony Todd will return as the enigmatic mortician. <laughs> <laughs> I like to think that's the name on the call sheet: enigmatic mortician, Tony Todd. <laughs> The plot report... Oh, this is genius. I didn't know this. The plot of Final Destination 6, Jesse, reportedly centers on first responders. We're told that the film digs into uh, Bloodworth's backstory, the you know the mortician guy. Oh, he has a, a, his name. He has a name. It's Bloodworth. I, I, th- I really thought it was Enigmatic Mortician. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, we're told that the film digs into his backstory, including a flashback to his childhood that reveals more about his connection to death. No, <laughs> I don't need to know the mortician's backstory. But, you know, the idea of focusing on first responders is people who are, ex- are close to death. Oh, yeah, already that's a great like, idea. That's a, that's a cool idea. This is the sixth movie in the, in, in the franchise, the first in over 10 years. Uh, were you, did we cover that together? Or was that with the Joe era? I think that must have been Joe Eric. I've seen them all, but I don't think I've done, I haven't rewatched them recently or at all. Do you hold them in high esteem? I generally like them. Um, I think uh, the fourth one is kind of bad. <laughs> I forget which one that is. Um, and I feel like not. I feel like I'm. I'm not with the. I feel like everyone says two is the best. I mean, this two is. is I like two a lot, but I think two the is first good, one just is great. I but. think one and three are the best ones. They're you know my guys from X Files. Yeah, uh, <laughs> the, right. the Wong uh, J- James Wong. Uh, Long and Morgan. So, uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan of the series. I feel like there hasn't been a really good one since Wong and Morgan left, though there were, Five has its charms. So, you know, I'm, I'm always interested in another one. Is Five the 3D one, or was that the fourth one? I think that's the fourth one. Yeah, the uh, fourth one opens with... It's like they're really stretching to have, like... The opening scenes have been so iconic up until then, I feel like. Like, yeah. it was car crash in the second one that we all remember. Yeah. Even more than the plane crash, I think, in the first one. Probably because we're in traffic more than we're on planes. Yeah. So I'm always thinking of Final Destination 2. But the fourth one was like, what if you were at a NASCAR event <laughs> and <laughs> a tire flew off? It's just like, it's not the same as, yeah. like... uh a place where we all are, you know, I don't know. Yeah, the idea yeah, of I like agree. an event is a good idea. Like a concert, I think would be a great idea. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. That'd be very scary. But for some reason, the specificity of like, 
I just like I don't. I'm never going to be at a NASCAR <laughs> yeah. event. Yeah. It's, what do it's you com- mean? It's weirdly comforting because I'm not. Yeah, I'm just not going to go to that. Then yeah, I just watched it. Like <laughs> these hicks all deserve this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm sure there's a very small venn diagram of nascar watchers and new flesh listeners but maybe (laughs) it's bigger than i thought and i'm just kidding your sport is valid the cars go so fast in those circles it's true (laughs) um long legs a new horror movie from osgood perkins the man who did the black coat's daughter which i really like starring kieran and shipka and is it emma roberts who's the other girl i think it is emma roberts Okay. She's she's in something of of of. of we have our students. team working on it right now to confirm <laughs> if it's Emma Roberts in that movie. It is. Lucy Boynton's also in it. It's a good movie. Uh, he also did Gretel and Hansel, which was solid. Is, are those the only two? No, he also did I Am the Pretty Thing That Lives in the House. I think okay, that's also yeah. him. I haven't, I haven't seen that one. I don't think. I love the guy. I think he's got a great eye. Really interesting horror director, and famously, he is Anthony Perkins' son. And Anthony Perkins is Norman Bates. So there's just some cool horror lore there in his real life. But anyway, he's got a new movie. It's a horror movie. It's at Neon. And it stars Nicolas Cage. Oh. Yeah. Long Legs has officially been rated R for bloody violence, disturbing images, and some language. The other cast, Jesse, you're going to like a couple of these. Or at least one of these. Alicia Witt. I don't know if you care about that. Blair Underwood. I don't know if you care about that. Micah Monroe. Oh, yeah. Scream Queen Micah Monroe. Scream Queen Micah Monroe returns to the genre. Uh, Long Legs is said to be in the vein of classic Hollywood psychological thrillers. And the official plot reveals, lets us know, that Nicolas Cage is playing a serial killer. Uh, FBI agent Lee Harker. Monroe. Yes. Yes. (laughs) FBI agent Micah Monroe. Not to be confused with. Dirtbag Micah Monroe from uh, what was that movie we watched? Did you watch that? The bullet I didn't in the watch head it. thing. I, I, uh, I, I didn't. I kind of still want to, but I know that it's a dumb. It's idea. not called what I just said it was. It's something different. Uh, yeah, it's called like gun gun. God is a incorporated. bullet. Okay, yeah. Gun. Did you say gun death incorporated? Yeah, <laughs> that was good. Uh, it should be called that. Um, so Micah Monroe is a gifted new recruit assigned to the unsolved case of elusive murderer Nicholas Cage. As the case takes complex turns, unearthing evidence of the occult, Harker discovers a personal connection to the merciless killer and must race against time to stop him before he claims the lives of another. In any other hands, I would say this sounds pretty generic, but like Osgood Perkins will make this shit look dope. And yeah. I'm ready. I'm ready Cage, for that. Cage and Micah, I'm into it. Yeah, that's a cool pairing. Uh, Saw X news this week. Uh, hold on. Let me pull up my Costas Mandalore. <laughs> um... All right, I don't have any news regarding Costas Mandalore, but I will say that Costas Mandalore looks how a nightclub in Berlin at 2 a.m. feels. (laughs) That was a good one. I like that one. (laughs) Uh, I'll I'll give a note to the intern who wrote that. That was a pretty good one. Um, Saw X just released a parody of the Nicole Kidman AMC ad, and... AMC, or I would imagine, somebody got it booted off of Twitter. Like, somebody filed a copyright complaint, and it doesn't exist on Twitter anymore, but you can find it online. It's so strange. I was trying, I was, this is, it was bother. I was talking about this over with Marissa, like, as we were falling asleep last night. I was like, no, it makes no sense. They, they would have no claim at all to get that removed. Yeah, under, right? It's, it's fair it's use just under, it's parody. Elon Musk X bullshit. Yeah, because there's no, this is like an SNL sketch. Like, you, and it's even less... 
I mean, there's they literally don't have AMC in there at all. All it is is inter- imitating the rhythm and style of an ad. That's not against the law in any way. Like, there's just literally no claim you could make to get that taken down. Like, there's no one's images. There's no... I mean, as far as I know, maybe there's music yeah. or something. That, that, like, maybe I'm completely bullshitty and there's some really obvious thing that I've missed. But I'm pretty sure... That unless they did it with the wrong music track, in which case they could have just re-uploaded it immediately yeah. with a different music track, uh, that there's nothing actionable in there. It's a parody. How could you possibly? It's so I would argue there's just nobody working at Twitter anymore who knows yeah. shit like that. <laughs> yeah, so like they fi- a thing was filed and they were like, uh, okay, and they yeah. nixed it. <laughs> so yeah, it is dumb, it. but it is yeah. funny, and I wanted to call attention to it. It's, I just want to call attention to the Saw X marketing in general. I feel like I've already, yeah. Yeah, I've already been talking about how I think it's going to open huge, despite tracking telling me that, like, no, no, silly boy. It is going <laughs> to open to $10 million, and you will be happy to get that. Um, I still think it could do – it'll overperform, and I think it has to beat 32 or something, 32.6 maybe, to uh-huh. be the highest grossing. I'm still sticking by that for no reason other than I want to will it into existence. But, yeah, there's a – there's a Nicole Kidman parody ad with a Billy the Puppet doll, and that's one of many random things you can find online with regard to the Saw Twitter account and whatnot. Hashtag Saw Tenber. I still think that's so <laughs> clever. Another intern deserves a raise for that one. Yes. Um, what else do we got? The Exorcist. I think I mentioned this already, but I will say it again. Marking the 50th anniversary of The Exorcist, the movie will play in theaters as part of a <gasps> fathom event nationwide, uh, Sunday, October 1 at 4 p.m. and 7 p.m. and Wednesday, October 4th at 7 p.m. You can see The Exorcist in theaters. It is the extended director's cut sourced from the original 1973 camera negative with newly restored and remastered picture and sound in 4K. Uh, the 4K disc, I got to give a shout out to Warner Brothers. Thank you for sending me the 4K. I, I have it a few days early, and I will be watching it this weekend. I'm very excited to watch it. Um, I was trying to look up, Jesse, what the difference is. Because you remember there's the version you've never seen. is right. the version I remember being on video. Because yes. that came out in 2000 and had the crab walk scene and whatever else. But I believe this William Friedkin's extended director's cut is the latest version of the movie. And the only difference between that and the version you've never seen... I think they took away one shot. <laughs> they removed that one shot that people make fun of on Twitter all the time, where it's like Pazuzu's face just appears, like the Flash's face did in that one scene, where uh-huh. his face just kind of like pops through the screen. You're like, uh-huh. what the fuck? Uh, <laughs> Pazuzu had, like, there was a shot of Ellen Burstyn and Pazuzu that is in the version you've never seen that allegedly did not make it into the extended director's cut. And that one shot is the only difference, I think, between the version you've never seen and the extended director's cut. And the 4K, I don't want to. I don't think it's the first time it's been together, but it is nice that it's there. The theatrical cut is also oh, nice. in 4K, right alongside that director's cut. So, 4K out September 19th, later this week, October 1 and October 4. If you want to see The Exorcist in theaters, talk to me now available on digital. Will be on 4K and Blu-ray, October 3rd. And at the same day that comes out, oh no, this comes out November 30th. If you can wait, Jesse, you can spend $110 and get yourself a Talk to Me party hand. That's what they're calling it. The life-size ceramic is the only smoking device or incense burner 
that opens the door to the other side. So they're calling it an incense burner, which is a fun thing because they didn't know what else to call it. It is just a hand that costs $100. It's a prop from a movie. Classic uh, A24. I'm surprised it's only $100, frankly. I'm yeah. surprised they didn't go for the full 200 They really could have. Uh, second season of the Courtney Cox horror show on Stars, Shining Veil, starts October 13th. Did anybody watch this? I'm pretty sure I tried to watch season one and just didn't get through it. So let me know if it's worth my time to watch Shining Veil, starring Courtney Cox, Greg Kinnear, and Mira Sorvino. Good cast for this TV show that I believe is a half hour horror show. Oh, I don't know. I just I, I, I reject the premise of this whole thing. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what this is. Um, Haunted Mansion will be on Disney Plus October 4th. If you were chomping at the bit to see it, I just wanted to mention that. Brooklyn Horror Fest lineup is out. It's running October 12th through 19th. Not a lot of big debuts there. The ones I'm excited for, new Larry Fessenden movie, a werewolf movie. The, the family that made the movie, they're called the Adams Family, but it's not two Ds, it's just regular Adams. The Adams Family, who made the movie Hellbender, which I really liked, have a new one called Where the Devil Roams. Something called Monolith that sounds cool. A uh, handful of stuff. I will not be attending in person this year because baby, but I will gladly take screeners. So if you're listening, send them over. Fork them over. We're going to watch them. They're also doing a Maniac Cop 35th anniversary screening with a Q&A with horror, you know, New York City horror legend Bill Lustig. So I think that's awesome. I, Maniac Cop, hugely underrated movie. I love it. And the second one. A lot. All right. Without further ado, let's let Jesse just go on like a little <laughs> diatribe about why Haunting in Venice is some miraculous picture. Um, you, you tweeted your little like uh, keychain that they gave you, and I wish I knew that you'd care about the movie because I passed up so much fucking swag at that um, what <laughs> was it end. called event? The like, oh, the, like the, the IMAX pre-screen thing where they had uh-huh. they had like a. a they had like charcuterie out and haunting in Venice cups that they then let the whole IMAX sold out IMAX screen full of people loose on the on the soda machines with a little cup that said haunting in Venice on it. Wow. So there was a there was a huge line like all the way down the hallway <laughs> for soda because everyone got a free drink. Um, but yeah, I would have saved you a cup. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, the luggage tag. I don't know what I'm going to do with it. It's also strange because they, they gave us free luggage tags. Very nice. The movie's not about him being any like it's about Poirot being in his home in Venice. <laughs> it's the the other two are about Poirot traveling and encountering a murder on the way, and this one is very much not. This is about him like going down the street and encountering a murder. <laughs> so huh. I don't know why there's why is there a luggage tag? I don't know. There's nothing to do with anything. No one in the movie is traveling really. Um, but that's <laughs> neither here nor there, I suppose. That's yes. like a future entry on like that weird movie promo merch account. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And then you would have to explain in the tweet, no, no, but this is the one that does not involve travel. The other one's a boat. The other one's a train. This one is just a house. Yeah. Um, I guess should have given you keys. Yeah, like exactly, a exactly. A key ring. There you and go. And they're like, good luck finding which house this opens. Yeah. <laughs> this house could be yours. A skeleton key, yeah. Um... Yes, this is the third movie, as we've alluded, in the somewhat inexplicable, delightfully so, Kenneth Branagh, Hercule Poirot franchise 
that is going now. I am afraid to check the box office numbers for Thursday night because I'm going to find out that they're never going to make another one of these again. <laughs> the first movie, <clears throat> excuse me, the first movie, Murder on the Orient Express, was a fairly big hit back in the days when some adults went to the movies. I think it made $100 million in this country, and I think it made more internationally because it had one of those big, starry international casts. They're based on these Avatar Christie novels uh, featuring Hercule Poirot, the Belgian uh, detective, master detective. Uh, Death of the Nile was, came out in the middle of a COVID wave, and people were not really in the in the movie going habit it did actually okay all for considering that but it did not make as much as Murder i have Express. unfortunate breaking news for you i do have the number do you oh want no to? oh no <laughs> okay let's hear him let's hear him the number is 1.2 from thursday which okay. gives it an outlook of about 12 for the weekend which is like death on the nile did 12 8 yeah. Okay. Well, we'll see. Maybe it'll maybe it'll leg out a little more because I feel like the old people aren't exactly rushing out on the Thursday night. But yeah, it's not going to be as big as Murder on the Orient Express. Um, but that's and even and there was like a purchase of Fox by Disney in the interim, and I thought for sure that this would just not. I know Rana wanted to do a whole series of these because there's so many Agatha Christie. And he of- he did. He really did. There's three of them. <laughs> is that, is that them. not enough? I want at least five. Um, All right. I think there need to be five. Uh, or, or as my friend Nathaniel has suggested, 30, which I would also be happy with. Um, Let's meet somewhere in the middle between 30 and like the Pope Exorcist 199. Let's get somewhere in the middle. <laughs> That's, yeah. Maybe just like barely 85. into the, Yeah. <laughs> completely reasonable number. There were like, I think there were four or five, four or five um, Peter Ustinov ones from the 70s and 80s. Um, so that would be a good, I know, I think of it like a James, like a run at James Bond. You know, a good James yeah. Bond run is like four or five movies. They should do four or five at least. Pro, uh, Brana movies. Um, and I just generally, you know, I wasn't over the moon about murder on the orient express i thought it was like a fun movie that it was sort of you know a little bit turgid i suppose uh but this one in death on the nile i really really enjoyed and certainly talking to a horror audience i would warn anyone who's like a big horror person listening i would presumably listen to this podcast you're a horror person to not get your hopes up in that regard because it's weak stuff as far as horror goes. It's, you know, there's some cool haunted house stuff and some cool images. But, like, it's not... There's a pretty gnarly, in a PG-13 sort of way, death. Like, the central death in this one has a nice gothic, you know, gross flair to it. Yeah, I guess that's what Seitz was referring to. When About he was being... like, the gore is so... <laughs> pushes the limits of the rating. <laughs> like, it no, it's the boundaries of good... T- no, okay. I mean, there's there are some flashes of things that are a little bit more violent. <clears throat> the other ones, you know, the other two movies, just by virtue of not being quite so horror adjacent, are not quite as, uh, you know, I- intense with the violence. But it's not, you know, you're right. It's not at all... If you came into that expecting something that pushes the boundaries of PG-13 or of, of cozy mysteries, like... No, that's not what you're going to get. And it's not really much of it. There, there are even some parts of, of the movie that I did. This think, is oh, not the tone I expected from your th- rave review. Uh, well, well, I'm getting I'm getting to it. I was saying that <laughs> I, I would concede that as a horror movie, like it's maybe a little bit of a shrug. There are times where you could think, oh, this could have been a lot more creepy and a lot more chilly. You know, could have made your blood run cold and it doesn't really. Um but as a cozy murder mystery starring Kenneth Branagh, Tina Fey, Michelle Yeoh, etc., 
I found it really enjoyable and maybe the best of the three. Certainly has the most Brana uh, directorial flourishes, which uh, I agree there are there. He does maybe go for volume sometimes more than effectiveness. But I've wa- I just watched so many indifferently made, you know, blockbuster franchise series that to watch something where Brana's really eager to like put the camera really far down on the ground and get a crazy low angle shot or get a crazy overhead shot of gondolas approaching the uh, the Venice building on the canal in the, in the thunderstorm. A fisheye and... lens of birds killing each other. Yes, <laughs> I don't know if that was the shot. Birds yeah. kill... Maybe that was what's, what set Zeiss off as being especially violent. I don't know. <laughs> uh, the bird violence is off the charts. Um, the... Uh, you know, um, kind of painterly compositions. He, all three of them have this where he shoots people through window panes or through corners of windows and gets like three different people positioned in the frame in kind of evocative ways. I just had such a blast with it. I, I find the, uh, I think this is just like perfect material for Brana because I don't, I didn't care for Belfast. I don't really think his small personal movies have much to say. I enjoyed yeah. his Shakespeare movies certainly back in the day. Belfast but you can't do... was dire, man. Yeah, was it was. It was, it was short, as they would say in Belfast, a bit <laughs> short. Uh, but the, you know, in his Shakespeare movies, I like, I've generally liked a lot. I haven't seen the last, like, he did a couple that were more obscure that I haven't seen, but I, you know, his Hamlet is really good. Um, but you can't do Shakespeare. You can't always play those roles forever. And he was, there was always something a little bit, uh, maybe a little bit pompous about some of that, that stuff that's sort of like, I'm, I'm the steward of Shakespeare for the 20th, late 20th century kind of feeling. And I think this is someone I'm going to getting at my essay. This material is just perfectly pitched where he is a little bit pompous and a little bit lowbrow at the same time. And it's just a perfect mix. And I think he's, clearly cast about for like kind of franchise work you know he he did thor and then really like you know he tried to reboot jack ryan which i actually like pretty well his jack ryan is pretty good um and he he did the cinderella remake for disney he did a terrible movie un, a unfathomably terrible movie called artemis fowl that went directly to disney plus completely forgot his name he did that i was gonna say his name is on it no he incomprehensible. made it. <laughs> it's amazing that he did that movie that anyone did that movie that, that anyone hey, left their name on that movie i loved that gold golden paperback book when i was a kid. oh That's i've, heard, I've heard great about things yeah. about the book great things and i can't imagine the movie is anything much like all the, book the... I just realized all the books I read as kids became movies, and they were yeah. all bad. It's yeah. that. It was something called Stormbreaker. It was like oh, the yeah. Alex, oh, Alex Rider. Yeah, yeah Alex yeah. Rider. I remember that coming out. I never read that. That was a re- – and, and they all had the same quality of, like, it looks like they're going to be a huge movie, are really bad, and then, like, barely exist. Yeah, And yeah. Cirque du Freak is the other one. Oh, which, yeah, The Vampire's Assistant. I definitely saw that movie at a press screening. <laughs> I've never seen Those are the all movie. movies I loved as a kid. I wrote letters to the author, and, like, he wrote back once. Darren oh, Chan. Oh, that's so sweet. Cirque that's du great. Freak. I remember. I'm pretty – I'm sure I wrote the writer, like, please put me in the movie that's coming out, sir. Like, like, I'm sure that was the tone of the letter. But he wrote back like, oh, I'm not a casting producer or whatever. Uh, he wrote a nice thing and sent me a book or whatever. Oh, that's so sweet. That's anyway, wonderful. that's neither here nor there, but it just reminded me. Well, it's it's weirdly related in that it's it's doing a YA adaptation like that, like a YA fantasy, is one more thing that Brana tried that was like, this is just not quite a match for you. I'm sure that movie had other problems. It must have. Because his other movies are not that bad. Um, even Belfast is not as bad as <laughs> Artemis Fowl. It's so horrible. But I, you could see him sort of casting about for like, how could he work in this sort of franchise-based system 
uh, where he's like, kind of has a more old school Shakespearean actor, you know, kind of vibe. And he fits well in the Christopher Nolan movies where he's always playing glowering Russians or whatever. I always love that <laughs> shit. <laughs> um, uh, Is he, he the guy who puts his hands together in Tenet? I don't remember. <laughs> No, that's somebody else. <laughs> yeah, that's a different. Guy. He is a he is a bad guy in Tenet and in uh, I thought he was in something else of his. No, I guess he's not a bad guy in Dunkirk, uh, but he's the similar bad guy in uh, Jack Ryan, which is not Nolan, but he he directs himself, his favorite actor, as uh, <laughs> as a, another <laughs> Russian bad guy in Shadow Recruit, and I enjoy that. So that's a good niche for him. But in terms of directing movies, I feel like he hadn't really found what is it that he's going to do in this kind of act. Again, he's just a little more grown-up-minded than, uh, than the kind of average level of your, like, you know, Disney or Warner Brothers uh, young adult-centric franchise or kid-centric franchise or whatever. Fanboy-centric franchise. It's all, they're all the same. <laughs> um, and I think these Poirot movies are just perfect for him in that he can indulge a lot of his, like, dead-again-style showmanship even more so. I was rewatching Part of Dead Again the other day, and it's quite restrained compared to some of the stuff in this movie. And also have a little bit of human feeling in the kind of Poirot's sense of, like, I would call it a kind of pompous melancholy <laughs> that I enjoy uh, about this character, where he's, like, sad about what a fucking genius well, yeah, he is yeah, the or melancholy, <laughs> I think, is a huge part of why I don't think, like, these, I, I just walk into these movies thinking they should be more fun than they end up being. Like, they end I, up being I, dour. For they're this one they're a little bit dour, but in a way that I think I just think of as being sort of like uh, in a kind of adult way. Like there, there is still there's certainly to me fun to be had with these things. Part of the kind of dour pompousness that he has as Poirot to me is kind of fun. I think that's kind of like funny and weird. And then the characters around him are always sort of like colorful and interesting. Uh, and in this movie, though it isn't as big or as starry a cast as some of the past ones, I really enjoyed Tina Fey, who plays, uh, I guess, who's a character in the character who's in some of the Christie books. Um, someone yeah. who knows Perot and is a writer herself. It clearly supposed to be sort of like, what if Agatha Christie yes. was real and knew Perot yes. uh, in real life? I found that really fun, and I found her sort of old timey, you know, kind of wisecracking stuff funny and fun old-timey wisecracking with like the contemporary tina fey delivery so like it I mean, just it's, it's so a, it's such it's a bad a little, performance to me it's only yeah. a little bit in in her vernacular she i feel like knows the image she's much more doing old-timey movie star than yeah, re, yeah. than real person in 1947 but yes. i think that's fine i think because the whole movie is like pretty heightened and goofy uh, but it's done. It is done with a very straight face, and I appreciate that about these movies. I really liked in Death on the Nile. The first like half an hour of it is like florid melodrama, where you're not really sure how this relates to a coming murder. And I know some people found that really <laughs> trying, found it were kind of impatient with it. But I really enjoy the sort of luxurious look of these movies. He's great. He does great stuff with shadows. Uh, they're not like colorful in the sense of bright popping colors, but he knows he understands contrast at least. So when the, the kind of the blacks are really black and the shadows are really shadowy and the faces of the actors are always kind of lit perfectly uh, uh, in the shadows uh, with, so a, just... with a fisheye or a low angle <laughs> yes, or, a... Or, or a high angle or <laughs> a bizarre vantage shot through glass I you know I, it keeps it's, it is definitely not sophisticated in a lot of ways it's kind of you know gimcrack and that's why maybe I think that that I'm just latching on to that not sophisticated part I think that's what pisses me off where I, I just watch this and go this is like a dumb person's idea of smart shot composition. You know what I mean? Where you're just like, 
there's so much different things happening that it must be a good this must be what style is yeah and i just <laughs> right, disagree right. i'm just like this is just wackadoodle nonsense that what like what purpose does that shot serve and it's usually the answer is like what like if you were to ask what it's there for i don't think there's an answer for any of them and well, like and i feel like one, a better director would have yeah, like there's a reason for a low angle or a sure. high angle I mean, or a I deep think focus a, a lot of this is done in sort of a you know uh you know allu- like to emphasize the sense of illusion the sense of like uh of, of unreality i mean because it is it is much more so in this one even than in death on the nile oh. where with which already had a bunch of that uh, but yeah, it's, I mean, I think it's pretty basic, like, it's a haunted house, and, you're, and things are supposed to be sort of distorted and disorienting, and I, like, find it fun. I don't think it's, like, I don't take it super seriously, but I, in terms of, like, sitting down to watch a, you know, uh, less than two-hour murder mystery with some, like, colorful characters and... Colorful you know, characters like Jamie Dornan, who just is afraid the whole time. <laughs> well, I was <laughs> thinking more more of uh, well, it's hard to talk about much without spoiling things. But his son is is a like a bizarre, colorful character, and uh, Michelle Yeoh is like doing a lot. Everyone sort of like hams tries to out ham Brana, and it's not quite like you know super over the top, self conscious florid ridiculousness but it's kept at kind of a simmer where i think it it kind of works on both levels it's kind of campy but it's not so convinced i mean part of camp the original definition is that it can't be something that is we're being campy you know and i feel like this would be very easy to do these movies as sort of self-aware quasi quasi camp and i think some of these stuff works as camp because it really is done with a fair amount of trademark uh brana egomaniac seriousness that i'm not saying that i enjoy it ironically or anything like that i just can appreciate the kind of uh <laughs> bizarre kind of contortionist nature of these movies and i also probably help i mean i wonder if i had read the stories if these would just strike me as sort of like overly you know kind of overproduced versions of those although i tend to understand this one which is a more obscure story called halloween party um or a book i think a novel called halloween party that they have changed more of this one than some of the yeah. other ones death on the nile and murder on the Orient express are pretty familiar they were already made into movies so you might know yeah. the stories quite well this one is not as well known uh, and that maybe also maybe that freedom is what i'm sensing in terms of liking this one even a little more than the other two where i was feeling like oh this you know it's got the trademark pro or just like murder mystery in general like ah uh, multiple people are guilty, but not all of murder. And there's, uh, you know, kind of, oh, this person seems suspicious for this other reason. I don't know. I just found that stuff really fun. And I was just delighted for this entire movie, <laughs> for the most part, even though it is very silly and has that kind of, you know, Brana slight stiffness to it, even when he's yeah. trying to do wackadoodle stuff. <laughs> it's just, there's something about the, like, self-seriousness brushing up against his dumb fucking mustache. <laughs> like, you know, that I, it's like those two opposing ideas. That's kind of, you know, I obviously that was, I'm just joking. That's like a symbol of the idea, but like, that's kind of partially what I think is part of my problem with it. Uh, I, I think the, that like this one doesn't have the, you know, quite the star power. The other ones had, but yo is so good. And yes. I think Michelle Yeoh is awesome in this. So fun. I don't want to give any spoilers, but I just want to say I wish she was in it more. Yes. Um, but like everyone, like Damie Dornan's character, I nothing. Uh, the Kelly Riley character, just everything felt so 
archetypal and dis- not that interesting. And then, like, the assistants have their little backstory about the war. And then everyone is like, I, I get it, man. Like, it's trying to be this whole thing about everyone being haunted by death in their own way. And the war is to blame. And, like, you know, on paper, I get why that this is working for people, I guess. But in practice, when I watch it, I'm just waiting for, like, a mystery to be engaging. And it was never very engaging because I feel like it's not exactly obvious, like, who the killer might be, maybe. Or, like, I didn't call that exactly. But, like, large portions of what end up being revealed are, like, plainly obvious, I would say. And, like, like uh, I don't want to – I don't know. We can get into spoilers maybe later if you want to. But There's one reveal I would say that's very that's very obvious. And there's one reveal I did not see coming in the least. Uh, I, which week maybe we could – yeah. Maybe. I, we'll have I, to – let's let's wrap up on spoilers so we can yes, get to spoilers because yes. I want to now. I will say I, I also just like – I feel like uh, the, the dude – the stranger next to me, I, I mentioned this on Letterboxd. Like at one point, I think when someone got killed, he like rubbed his hands together and was like in this kind of oh boy, oh boy kind of motion. And then like an hour into the movie, just turned to me. We had not spoken – I guess he asked me about the arm – he could use the armor you know he was like where should i which armor should you put his drink on and i was like either one's fine this guy is desperate for human contact yes yeah, oh my he, god yeah, he uh, he looked like we had not talked about the movie at all you know he was not talking through the movie i was not talking through the movie but he just turned to me <laughs> and uh just the random stranger to his left like an hour and changes the movie and was like i think she did it <laughs> ah, and then you went and got an usher and had him removed from the theater for <laughs> that's just, right for i was running. like don't you dare speak to me. Uh, he wasn't, he was, he was not correct, but I understand why he said that at that moment. I just, I was like, wow, he was, he was feeling this movie. Like I was like, we were both like, yeah, we're into this We're we want this movie to happen. And maybe you have to like, really want to like it more. To, to, yeah. To have I, the full that, effect. But. I feel like everyone who liked it, I'm reading these reviews and like, like Seitz's and Jordan Hoffman's tweet. They're citing like Orson Welles and shit. And I'm like, what on earth are you talking about <laughs> with like the style of the trial or something? I'm like, yeah, I mean, I can kind oh of God. see that it's, it is pretty superficial stuff. Certainly it's not like evocative and, and uh, the way that Orson Welles stuff is. And of course, Brana would glory to those comparisons, but that even just makes me laugh even more because of course, Brana, the massive egotist that he is would love to be compared to Orson Welles. And I know vastly short of it. Um, but I think also, you know, looking at dead again uh, again uh, from 1991 <laughs> uh, the upcoming sequel dead again 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 uh, <laughs> is uh, it came out in 91 it's his second movie after Henry V and it has such a love of like noir and old style romance and Hitchcockian flourishes and I think these movies and I they're one of it's one of his best movies I think uh, if not, maybe his best. Well, the, the Hamlet movie is quite good, and 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 uh, much ado about nothing is quite good. But these connect back to that one for me, where it's like, oh, okay, yeah, this is this is just kind of a love of ornate sets, and you know, I don't think this one was actually shot on seventy. The other two were shot on seventy millimeter, or at least some of the interiors and stuff were uh, a kind of yeah. love of old timey Hollywood craft. And he's not as uh, as as inspired an artist as Orson Welles, or even you know. <laughs> <laughs> like a Eli Roth, I yeah. just picked anybody. I don't know. <laughs> no, I mean that's the thing. He's he, but he does have 
the you know you look at the trailer for Thanksgiving, which played before I don't know, I guess I played before Dumb Money, not before this one, but I saw it again recently, and I was yeah. like, ah, oh, this just looks so flat and digital and sort of just point and shoot. Kind Get of Brannock in there with his goofy angles. Come exactly. On. This has yeah. this, this one has a this one seems lovingly made to me, even though I'm sure he's kind of a goof about it. I just I just found it sort of lovingly old fashioned yeah. in, in a way. Yeah. I yeah okay I, I get that like I can I see both sides of it like the pretentious side of this fucking idiot is just pointing the camera <laughs> wherever the fuck he wants and then I also see like gleefully saying that like this fucking idiot's putting the camera anywhere he wants this yeah. is madness <laughs> I, I love it yeah he's uh, obviously having fun I think making these movies even though the character remains fairly po faced and and yeah and that's solemn. my problem like I feel like when there are those flourishes of fun I'm having fun with it but then like this movie ends. Like where he, you know, Hercule Perot might go out and do more adventures where the movie starts and he's like dour and doesn't want to. He's like reluctant about doing any of this. Yes. And like maybe I would have preferred the movie where he was not as reluctant or well, something. It is. Yeah. A, that is a weird. That's a very modern franchise problem where like instead of just doing the thing where you have to. He has to just, be chopping, uh, 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 chopping trees in the woods somewhere yeah, which, and they have to go find him. I do always love the like finding someone in their exile. Like, I, you know. The MacGruber scene. Yeah. Yeah. Or like, yeah, I always think of it as like the Wolverine where he's like has a beard and he's in the forest. And he's making yes. friends of the bear and shit. Love that stuff. But it is weird. There's a lot of series that I really love otherwise that do this where like uh, the Bond, the Craig Bond did this and uh, Star Trek did this. The most recent Star Trek, which I really like a lot, especially the third one, um, Star Trek Beyond. But yes. they all do this thing where they're like, okay, we've been on these adventures for years and now we're getting tired. I'm like, wait, no, you've done two movies. You you, you can do that. We're the weary, the weary traveler. Not sure if he's going to go on with it on movie five. I mean, they're because they're afraid they're not going to get movie five. But right. th- it's this kind of false sense of stakes. And that does bother me. Like, James Bond fucking retired, like, four times in the five movies, you know, like, <laughs> in, in the Craig ones. And I like those movies a lot on the balance. I think they're really cool. But, like, half of them open with him being like, I'm not going to do this anymore. <laughs> like, or yeah. they or they sort of, they sort of half have him, he basically goes in the Bond movies from, uh, and now I've become James Bond, to... And now I'm going to stop being James Bond. That's like, there's a seamless transition. It's like, in the first two, they're like, it's basically, I've become Bond. And then Skyfall is like, have I become Bond? Yes, I've become Bond. Or am I retired? You know, like, and then he retires several more times after that movie. And I thought a lot of friends, and Star Trek Beyond does this with Kirk, where it's like, suddenly he's like, he's bored and restless uh, because they're three years into their five-year mission. Well, that's great, buddy, but we didn't fucking see the first three years of the five-year mission that started at the end of the previous movie. Why did you jump forward? Why can't we just see the five-year mission? And this has a little bit of that that did annoy me a little bit, even though I was found the ending satisfying and and, and do kind of enjoy reluctant and and still egomaniac Poirot, like, I will not solve the mystery. Well, how Poirot got his groove back. Yeah, yeah. I enjoyed that, but yes, it would make more sense if there were a couple more Poirot adventures before he's suddenly all weary about it the first movie starts and he's already a world famous detective so it's kind of goofy that they just can't show us a couple more like normal praro you know adventures i'm hoping that in movies four through 85 (laughs) that will be more that will play out i I really i see your point there it's it's it is it doesn't make a lot of uh, sense for him to be like the reluctant detective three movies in yeah, and like I just hate to burst your damn bubble about those eighty-five movies. Like, really, <laughs> it oh, it opening to twelve would be dire. I feel yeah, like I, I, it does seem. Like I mean, it would be hard to justify the expense of uh, Death of on the Nile. One. 
had the COVID asterisk to yes. be like, well, yes. it did badly for these reasons. Now it's just like, no, people did not want a trilogy out of the murder of, <laughs> on the Orient Express, which was a surprise hit. And I feel like, yes. weirdly, the Johnny Depp factor may have played into that. People love Johnny Depp then. I don't, or is that was that post Johnny Depp being? A it, piece was, of shit? it was it was post Depp disgrace and pre Depp. Uh, pretend reclamate like I, it's so bizarre reclamation among some <laughs> yeah or a chud reclamation of johnny depp yeah. um yeah. Uh, <laughs> but it did have it did have like perhaps the starriest cast where you have brana yeah. and johnny depp and daisy ridley fresh off star wars and i feel like there's judy dench penelope cruz and willem dafoe are all that that was yeah, really like a the cast felt i i didn't even see that movie until like right before death on the nile but i remember uh. it feeling like the star studiest thing on earth so yeah yeah yes yeah, so, uh, so that's fallen off <laughs> off a cliff a little since that one but yeah death and Nile made 130 worldwide so like 84 internationally and 45 domestic you have to imagine it cost about i don't what do you do we have the budget for this I have I no they idea. must all be like close yeah. to 100 you i was gonna know, say or... it must be 100 it says 90 here so like a 90 million dollar movie making 130 dollars is not good it's insane that we have a third one like why do we have this I wonder if they, Disney likes to wants to stay in with Brana, or they did kind of feel like, well, Death on the Nile was really more of a was a COVID fluke, or that they sure you know, they're like the well, first one did see, so yeah. well, yeah, sure. Now it does seem like unlikely that they're going to say, oh yeah, do a couple more. Although I don't know, who knows? Like sometimes just having the brand, sometimes they'd rather just stick with a brand than you know, like that's something with name recognition. You know, Agatha Christie, Hercule Poirot. You know, it's like a series. I imagine they'll feel like it would do well on streaming for them or whatever, but it is, you know, if it doesn't. It it feels like the death of this franchise kind of is happening in tandem with, like, the universe death of, like, Marvel and stuff. I feel like like maybe they're connected in a way where, like, not not to say that, like, I don't know, that's maybe a stupid comment. Like, there's always been Agatha Christie movies that have existed. But, like, didn't you feel like this was trying to be a Marvel universe of Perot in a way, or I mean, am, am I wrong? Sort of, is it I, just think like it's, I think it's straight. Sequels? I think it's more like in the, or in the realm of something like, you know, uh, Jack Reacher, what Jack Reacher is trying to do where it's like, yeah, it's like the kind of airport novel series or girl with dragon tattoo where it's like, yeah, you do like a series of kind of airport novel. Like, I think if anything, the reason these things are not doing as well is that the audience, that audience, it seems like based on other movies, um, has not you know before 2020 even though it was considered to be diminishing that adult audience would come out sometimes you know that kind of you know this is like a movie for the 40 pluses right like (laughs) the 50 50 pluses even uh that you know i just think back to like 2019 where you had like little women and ford v ferrari and once upon a time in hollywood and knives out which are all like adults you know sort of standalone even and some of them are thing like little women obviously is familiar but it's not you're not you're not going into that thinking oh i can't wait for this to kick off the louisa may alcott universe you know things that are aimed at kind of older adults uh doing well in kind of a standalone way it was really a quite a heartening year for that even though it was also a big franchise year and murder on the Orient express was a little earlier but it had it was of that ilk of like oh yeah you can still make 100 million on like a kind of older adult movie and now I just don't think those movies, you know, you look at something like Ticket to Paradise or something where that would have been a hundred million dollar movie in like 2017, probably. Um, and it was like a $65 million movie or $70 million movie, whatever it was uh, last year. And I think that's, a, you know, you're seeing that drop off almost explicitly with like, uh, you know, 
maybe it's a little more extreme. Maybe people didn't like Death on Nile that much or whatever. But like that drop off from like, yeah, you could do 100 with Murder on the Orient Express to, uh, yeah, you could maybe get almost to 50. <laughs> you know, like that's about what the drop off is now. Yeah. That's like how House of Gucci did did pretty well for an adult drama post pandemic. And it made like 55 or something, you know, which was considered right. kind of good. Like uh, at the time, because it's a movie that five or 10 years ago might have had a decent shot at making 100 million. Um, and I think that these might fall victim to that. And maybe maybe some of it is just my nostalgia for, like, you know, old man movies that, <laughs> that they're getting fewer of these days yeah. that causes me to, to go soft when I uh, <laughs> see a new Brana Poirot adventure. Before we do any spoilers, just on the horror movie front that you've already alluded to being a little underwhelming, I really think that was another thing that pissed me off besides, like, you know, all the scares, for the most part, are sound cued loud noises of yes. like someone appearing behind somebody else but it's not actually a scary thing it's just like a, oh it, it was me uh but there are a couple moments where there is a scary thing and i would argue the explanation for that i just the whole like speechifying moment where he's revealing everything uh-huh. it all just in this one where it should be the moment where you're like aha yes it just felt like box ticking and like explaining away shit in a way yes. that I was like, this sucks. Like, you you remember the horror element? Well, of course. Like, like it's like, you know, classic movie or even TV show Evil does this, where the whole premise is, what if this thing, is, is this thing a supernatural exorcism type demon thing? Or is there a reasonable real life explanation? And like, it's tried and true, sure. But in this movie, which is trying to be a horror thing, it really was just like insult to injury when they were like, oh, and this is why that was happening. And I was like, yeah. ah. <laughs> fucking dumb. I don't care. Uh, so that's that's the spoiler-free version. But talking spoilers, what would you want to say most about? I would um, I would say related to that that uh, the there's like basically three reveals in this movie. Such a generous film <laughs> to give you three reveals. <laughs> uh, I would I should have looked up and see and checked what the novel does in terms of the resolution. The the who is the murderer uh, reveal is definitely the least interesting one yes. and that does take a little bit of the air out of it in that you get a revelation that i think is more interesting before that and also one that's like fairly bonkers after that <laughs> as like a postscript um yeah. and for the the uh, non-spoiler reverse or people maybe who went to see this movie the yeah the real the real of of the the mother being the the killer is pretty you know, I, I had that thought many times earlier in the movie. I it's not only just that, it's also the, like, the Ariadne role in it, too. Yes, like, that I found that. more interesting. That, that I found kind of neat, like, you know. That's her, the her, first, that's the, that's the one I meant that I called. Like, that's the yeah. one I was just like, it's obviously this. And uh, that was, the, to a degree. He, that's the the guy next to me thought she had was was behind more of Got it. it. I think before they, yeah. before they revealed that, you know, when he, when Poirot, shortly before Poirot accuses her. He was like, it's right. Her. Um, and I, I thought that was sort of fun and interesting. And like, at least, you know, I don't look at, yeah, it's not wildly unpredictable, but I, but I, what I really enjoyed just in terms of being fairly nutty is that the blackmailer that is in the story is a like 10 year old child. <laughs> I just found that like, you know, I was like, wow, I was not expecting the child to be the blackmailer. I like the way that there are, there are definitely, they definitely, some of the ways the clues are doled out are sort of ham-fisted well where in a way that you can't really solve it yourself but it's obvious that something's going to be a clue the honey 
Like, there's no way you could know, you could figure it out on your own because you're clever. It but, also but, has but the they convenient also, like, yeah, underlining. Yeah. No, no, they, like, the, the convenient one. They're constantly underlining shit, but also the, like, the honey thing factoring in. Like, there's a part that isn't it just like, oh, well, she just happened to do this on accident. And, like, I hate that, too, where it's like one of the things that factors into this is isn't it Ariadne giving someone the tea or the honey without knowing that it's the honey? So there's something stupid like that where I was like, well, that that doesn't like that doesn't that shouldn't a reveal shouldn't have a thing where it's like, oh, and this thing happened that she didn't know she was doing. Right. I'm trying to yeah, remember I don't what. The, I don't remember what the. the I'm trying to remember that, what that was too. He was drugged intentionally. Uh, Poirot was. And they're a little. They get a little convenient with like how badly he was drugged and how it would affect him in the in just precisely the right way. <laughs> you know, like he gets lucky essentially in terms of him not. No, being yeah. Completely... I think according to this description online that I found, you know, a person who quickly wrote up the ending for SEO purposes. <laughs> um, Ariadne unknowingly gives him the toxic honey, leading him to be drugged because she just finds the honey in the linen press. Oh, that's right. Like, that's right. They're yeah. T- yeah, they go to look for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, that is that is kind of weird. Uh, that yeah, that that is convenient. So he's like he might have solved it earlier if not for that, which is weird. I don't know. That is a that's not a great detail. <laughs> yeah, there's just like I just felt like none of it was satisfying to me in that way, and the honey thing just reminded me of like I feel like post. Did you did you watch Breaking Bad? Yes. You know how there's like the ricin poison in yes. that? I feel like yes. post ricin and Breaking Bad, <laughs> so many movies are like, it's a natural thing that you would never suspect that's in the house. And yeah, it yeah. just felt <laughs> very post Breaking Bad. Yeah, to me. I do. I, th- I think that's true. I think I, ha- I feel, do feel like I've seen that, that, uh, that twist a few times since Breaking Bad. Very influential show. <laughs> very influential show. So, yeah, there's just all these elements all amount to a movie that I found very underwhelming, despite like. Despite the camera stuff, I do agree, like, this is the best-looking movie of the three. The second one had so much garish, ugly CGI backgrounds that made the fact that we saw it on 70mm film hilarious to me. Um, And this one does not have that problem. Like, there's not CGI. There's not noticeable CGI backgrounds in this. Like, it feels like they shot it in a house. There was one. There was a time. There's one shot where I was like, ooh, that looks like it might have been, like, composited or something. But, um... I mean, I'm sure they composited lots of things, but there was one that was noticeable. There was an exterior, but yes, generally it looks. It just. I mean, these are all locked room mysteries. It's just that the uh, the other two have moments where you have to step outside the locked room. Uh, you know, the outside the train, outside the boat, where it doesn't look as good as the interior stuff. I generally think like that's I both uh, an advantage of these movies and uh, and and uh, weakness is that I think Brana does have fun shooting these different interiors, but then it, the movie does end up looking kind of crummy. Not not this one as much, but the other two when they they when they step outside that do kind of look crummy or look a little cheaper. But I do think he has a really nice way rich. I think he has fun shooting these like the insides of these different like ornate you know environments that that Poro finds himself in and that's part of the fun for it uh, as as well all right allegedly let's say allegedly <laughs> there the alleged alleged fun the alleged fun <laughs> um yeah i think i mean it's 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 cool that we have such different thoughts on it because that is the take i'm seeing everywhere is people who think it's really great the best of the three and then a lot of people like me who thought all of them are middling to different degrees and this one <laughs> 
is just another entry. I weirdly, I think I like the second one the most. The one that like looks the worst, <laughs> arguably. Well, I think I think the, the mystery is just the most compelling. The mystery in that is cool, and I think I do think that movie. I think that movie was sort of got a bad rap in terms of its visuals because I do think the the interior shots in that are very, you make good use of yeah, the millimeter. Sure. Um, and and I yeah I I also like that one. I, I have a soft spot for that one, but I do I think this I have found this one a little funnier because I liked Tina Fey's uh, little you know. 1940s style screwball zingers uh even though there would not pass muster in an actual screwball thing right she's giving an only murders in the building performance yeah. <laughs> right that's 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 fine i you know i watch only murders in the building it's one of the few great shows show I watch. yeah so i watch I, a know. handful of shows and that's one also. yeah <laughs> i like um, that's that's the show for people who don't watch shows all i know jesse is when the title card came up in this movie i had an intrusive thought of a porn parody title called A Long Thing in Dennis. And I haven't <laughs> been able to stop thinking about it since. So wow. now I leave that to you, the listeners. <laughs> Send me your porn parody titles for <laughs> A Haunting in Venice. I don't think anyone's going to beat A Long Thing in Dennis. That's but pretty we'd good. like to see you try. I would, would love very... to see you try. <laughs> um, that's funny. That would be funny if that that's the last thought I had on the podcast before I became a father. <laughs> let's leave it. Let's leave it there. Yeah, um, perfect. Uh, you should you should just call this you know I feel like I mean it makes sense that the popular podcasts do this because they like have these more you know production centric podcasts but yes. uh, the uh, you should just call this the season finale of of, uh, <laughs> of New Flesh and then like yes. if we pick it up again in two weeks it's the new season of the New Flesh podcast you're a genius where were you eight years ago with <laughs> these ideas we could have been at the top of the charts this whole time <laughs> all right uh, thanks for listening everybody. Bye. Lifestyle. Forgive me if I don't stay around to watch. I just can't cope with the freaky stuff.